0: Hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Rob Roy of the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology, uh, also known as ICIT. He's a fellow there uh, and CTO of Public Sector with Micro Focus Government Solutions. So, Rob, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Nick. Happy to join you. So what I want to talk about is this ICIT paper that's come out recently titled Software Security is National Security why the U.S. must replace irresponsible practices with a culture of institutionalized security. So going back to sort of the genesis of this, I mean, what was the motivation for this paper? What was sort of any specific catalytic events that might have pushed this into fruition?
1: Sure, that's an interesting question in itself. Um, we were obviously a bit aggressive with the titling of this. And the reason for that is, is if we reflect on the state of software security, one can go all the way back. To 2002 in the infamous Bill Gates trustworthy computing memo from Microsoft, which essentially stopped all software development at Microsoft so that they could get their arms around the challenges of software security in their own development process. And then they created their SDLC. And then, uh, you know, companies like that have, have, uh, you know, where their brand has been dependent on, uh, the quality and the security of their software, uh, Microsoft other very large software entities, uh, but also, you know, let's, let's talk about big banks, right? That's part of our critical infrastructure. Um, and they had many problems, right? People trying to break in to, to steal money, financial assets. So they got on board with a, a secure development process and, and a life cycle of software security. Now we expected, we fully expected over the years that it would just become common practice that it was the right thing to do in the interest of serving consumers and serving them both a quality and a secure product, um, that that this problem would would pretty much go away over time as, as software engineering practitioners got educated in, in the development process of software and how to develop secure software as the tools for cleaning up software got better and put into the hands of developers, that this problem would pretty much go away. Now, I've been tracking this problem. I've been in this software security industry now for a little over 10 years. And I have seen improvement. We're very happy to see the current research that, uh, that vulnerabilities are going down, that more and more software developers are getting educated. The problem that we've seen over the past decade is that more software is being created. Witness the, the infamous uh, article written by Mark Andreessen several years ago where he said, software is eating the world. Software is in everything today, and it's proliferating and getting into our refrigerators and our toilets and our all these IoT, Internet of Things devices. And the problem is only getting expounded by organizations that don't necessarily take security as part of their development process and are releasing devices and software at a record pace without the due diligence that's required to keep citizens safe.
0: So see, that's the biggest challenge today, then, it's basically this speed to market and the, the sheer number of devices that are out there. Is that, is that what you'd categorize as the biggest threat today when it comes to software security or, or are there other aspects to that that should be considered?
1: I, I think that that is it. Um, this, the speed to market is critical. And if you have, in most cases, if you have a decision to make between putting in a feature that will provide some level of value or fixing a problem, that provides a feature to somebody versus securing the software, which, you know, people might not see the security of the software, right? It's the black box. They don't know how secure something is when they pick it up, when they use it, when they install a a home security video camera. They don't know quite what's in there, but they expect to be able to see the video when they bring up their app on their phone. That's what they expect. They don't care as much About the security that's embedded in it now that's at the consumer level I'm more focused today on the enterprise because enterprise and governments provide services to millions and millions of people and that's where I get the greatest fear is is seeing the numbers of breaches attributed to software where uh, citizen data security data um, uh, sensitive mission data state secrets are all being stolen as as we've heard in, in multiple cases from an intellectual property perspective we, we've seen the greatest transfer of wealth in world history over the past decade, and so those are the types of things that are that that I fear and the ability quite frankly let's just back up on the adversarial side the ease with which an adversary can can get on the internet with a low cost device, a laptop, and receive free tools on the Internet, cloud-based services for hacking, if you will. They can subscribe to cloud-based services and go out there and hack at will. And with, there's no, you know, there's no mutually assured destruction like we had with uh, with uh, the nuclear era, where there was a huge penalty for hacking. Um, Uh, Although we did see one this week in the the IDF blowing up a building that was housing some uh, Hamas uh, cyber activity that was trying to attack uh, Israeli assets. That's the first sort of, like, repercussion that we've seen to cyber activity. And if we see more of that happen, I think we will start to see a lot more of the the state-sponsored types of activities start to go
0: down. Mm. That's interesting. I mean, that, that, that is—I I, think—one of the first kinetic responses to cyber activity, which is um, again, that's an interesting observation. But but clearly, that's not a solution that is globally possible either. I, I would suspect. Oh,
1: absolutely not. No, no, no. And and you know to to. To kind of caveat that, right, we have seen in the U.S. and the Department of Defense and the State Department, um, some of the strategies, you know, that there was over the past decade, there have been um, discussions around the appropriate use of kinetic activity to cyber activity. And it usually has to do with, you know, if you are causing physical harm to the citizens of a country then that's equivalent to a kinetic kind of a response and we reserve the right to you know respond in kind that's usually what it what it comes down to
0: okay so the reports clearly a call to action so what would be the recommendations then that that are within the report where do we go from here
1: yeah, this, you know, we've given that one a lot of thought and a lot of discussion, not only in this paper but in many discussions on Capitol Hill here in the U.S. I've been asked on several occasions, you know, what can we do about it? There is a recognition that there is a problem um, within the government itself. The government is taking its own action. It has codified in law um, movement specifically in the in the U.S. Department of Defense to institute a software assurance program, to, in effect, review all the software current and in the future that the the department uses, and reflect on the the, the vulnerabilities, use automated testing to to review vulnerabilities, and to fix those known vulnerabilities. That's good. That's a start. That does not cover the civilian government. It does not cover the critical infrastructure. It does not cover the world of software development. Everyone else is effectively on their own. There's some great guidelines out there. NIST produces some. The International Standards Organization produces some. Uh, very specific, like the automotive industry has their own standards, critical standards for like driving automobiles that you'd want to you know, assure a higher level of software quality and security um, but you know in reality everybody is on their own there is no complete standard that you or I can go into you know or, or download a piece of software or start using an application somewhere and see the assurance level of that software so some have talked about, um, creating a, you know, a United Laboratories, if you will, a, a UL certification for software, um, that would be a challenge, right? Because software is more an art than a science. Creating software is more an art than a science. Uh, but it does. The idea has some merit. If there were some objective standards put in place that all software would have to abide by, um, then we could start to make progress. Now unfortunately, the only thing I can see, there's always at a government level, there's either an incentive or a stick. Okay. Incentives are, you know, tax breaks. If if companies start to, you know, absorb more cost for providing a higher level product, maybe the government could do that for, for industry. Um but I think in this scenario, and I think I'm backed by a number of other uh industry folks in this. Uh, it may just be that there needs to be an objective standard and a measurement in place and a mandate, a, a, a legislative uh, type of mandate that requires uh, a certain level of assurance to provide a, a uh, an assured product. Right,
0: and again, clearly we're talking about. I mean, we can standards can be applied in countries that are prepared to work with each other, but a lot of the IoT devices and so on and so forth are coming from countries where standards are. Probably less rigorous if, if existing at all
1: correct, and I think you know that that would be one of these one of these trade negotiation items where if you expect to do business in our country and other countries could take part, you know, almost like you know we've seen the European uh, uh, GDPR rules. Other countries, other entities around the world are looking at that. The U.S. is looking at GDPR and trying to figure out, all right, what, what's our equivalent? Should we just adopt it as is, or do we need to make our own adjustments to it here? Um, I think that software and our ability to, you know, import a quality product um, could be viewed as a trade negotiation item.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, clearly this is a step in the right direction and um, there's a long way to go, but this is certainly, this report is certainly indicative of a direction that could be taken. So certainly appreciate the work that you've done on that, Rob. So uh, that's Rob Roy of ICIT and for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.